Welcome to Waterbrook Church, located in Victoria, Minnesota. Glorious Disruption is about when Jesus shows up and turns everyone's world upside down. We believe this study of God's Word is about to turn many people's lives completely around. It may be even upside down because that's what happens in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus comes to people who are absolutely stunned and amazed by Him, and they are profoundly and gloriously changed forever. Let's begin by praying that this happens here at Waterbrook and beyond for our joy and amazement in Jesus. Let's worship together. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. It is a joy to be with you this morning. It's always a privilege for me to gather with God's people uh, and to worship the Lord together. You know, one of the privileges I have at TLI is I get to travel all over the world. And so to gather with God's people in various places to worship, it's always a wonderful experience. You know, when we gather like you're gathering this morning here at Waterbrook, it is a reminder to us that we're part of something way bigger than what our own personal experience is with Jesus. Uh, we have an a personal relationship with Christ, which is vital. We have, hopefully, a relationship with Christ as part of a family in our homes. And we gather as a local church every week. Why? Because it's important for us to gather together to worship the Lord as His people. And yet we're part of something far greater going on in this world as God is gathering a people for Himself, for the glory of His Son, in light of what he has done for us through his life, death, and resurrection. So it's a great part to be, uh, great to be a part of that. And so I bring you greetings this morning on behalf of the global church. Every time I go somewhere else, I bring greetings from the church in the U.S. So I, I'm going to return the favor to you this morning and bring greetings from the church in West Africa, meeting in little villages, uh, maybe cinder block huts with a tin roof. Maybe no sides at all on the church as they gather, dirt floor. I get to preach in places like that. Or churches that are finding a hard time to find a space to meet in South Asia because of uh, opposition to the work of the church. I bring you greetings from them. Or churches that are well-established, like uh, in South America, Piba. First Baptist Church of Achabaya, Brazil, where I'll be two weeks from this morning, gathered with 1,200 believers calling on the name of Jesus as they seek to spread the good news across Brazil. Or in places like diaspora churches of various ethnic gatherings in the West, including across the Twin Cities, including uh, a site where TLI works in the Dominican Republic now of Haitian pastors, where we'd been meeting in Haiti because of the situation you heard about earlier. Can't do that anymore. They've moved over to the other side of the island, to the DR, and we're training them there. God is at work. And we get a chance to be a part of what He is doing. What an amazing gift of His grace. And so this morning, we want to examine Luke's account of the beginning of the church in Antioch in Acts chapter 11, verses 19 to 30. And we do that because it's a remarkable event and an important event because it begins to signal the advance of Christ's mission to make disciples of all nations. And so let me set the context. 
uh, of Acts 11. So Acts is the second volume of Luke's works. First, the Gospel of Luke, which carefully tells the story of Jesus' life and death and ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit with a focus on his death and resurrection, which brings us life. Then, the Acts of the Apostles, the second volume, tells the work of the body of Christ, the church, in the power of the Holy Spirit to make known the good news of who that Jesus is and what He's accomplished for us as He reigns at the right hand of the Father. And so chapter 1 of Acts begins after the resurrection, Jesus giving His instruction to the disciples before His ascension that they will be His witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that's the story of the book of Acts. Chapter 2 then comes, the day of Pentecost. The Spirit descends and, and empowers the church. Peter gets up, preaches the Lord Jesus Christ, His life, death, and resurrection, and 3,000 come to faith on that day, and the church is born. Then from there, Peter and the apostles continue to preach, but face opposition from the religious leaders, chapters 3 and 4. Then the church begins to experience some conflict internally in chapters 5 and 6 as the uh, apostles appoint seven men, including Stephen, who then preaches the gospel. And in response to his preaching, he is martyred, which begins to scatter the church. In response to that persecution, Philip, one of the seven, goes to Samaria and he preaches the gospel there. Chapters 10 and 11 a dramatic event happens with Peter. He sees a vision, and he's sent to the house of Cornelius, a Gentile uh, political or uh, soldier who he brings the gospel to, and the people come to faith. And he reports back to the church what the Lord has done. And it's there that we pick up our text in chapter 11, verses 19 and following. And what we begin to see is that the gospel is spreading. The gospel began spreading. Look at verses 19 to 21 again and see how Luke reports the spread of the gospel. It spreads first, he says, as a result of persecution. Verse 19, now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. So Stephen's martyred, chapter 7, and the disciples, the apostles, remain in Jerusalem, but other disciples are scattered around the region. And their response is to preach the gospel. Now, I want us to think for a moment about that, because what is our response when we face conflict and pushback for the name of Jesus? Do we want to be careful and comfortable? That's my typical response. But here, their response is despite the cost, they were to make known the message of the cross. And that's exactly what they do. By the way, notice as well, their first impulse is not to complain about the government or to complain about those who were attacking them. Their response is, how do we take this gospel of Jesus Christ and make it known? TLI is trained in South India for a number of years and. The brothers there have faced much persecution. They have a theme song. 
a TLI theme song that they sing. I'll read you some of the lyrics. It says this, There should be no village without the gospel. There should never be a village without without a church. This and this is our goal. This and this is our ambition. In trying to accomplish this aim, I will not be concerned about my life. Through carrying the cross and enduring the suffering, I will keep marching forward, will proclaim the gospel. I don't mind even to be in hunger, but I will never leave the, leave the Lord's ministry. I'm ready to bear the blame, but I will never abandon the righteousness. I will keep moving forward, will proclaim the gospel. That's what the Lord is doing here in Acts chapter 11, through these brothers and sisters who were scattered because of persecution, and as a result of that persecution, the gospel continues to move forward. Not only is it spread as a result of persecution, it's spread to all people. Again, verse 19 says that those who first came spoke to Jews only. Verse 20 then, though, says there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists or the Greeks also preaching the Lord Jesus. Paul said later in Romans that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to who? To the Jew first, then to the Gentile. And it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. This gospel is for everyone. No matter what you've done. No matter how far you've strayed. The gospel is for you. It is good news. It's for your families. It's for your neighbors. It's for your co-workers. It's for the elderly. It's for the young. It's for the rich. It's for the poor. It's for the Fulani Muslim cattlemen in Cameroon. It's for the North African Muslim immigrants in Europe. It's for the hidden animistic peoples in the Amazon. It's for the millions of Hindus in India. It's for the hardened Shinto in Japan. It's for all the unreached peoples of the earth for every individual. And at stake is the glory of the crucified and risen Jesus Christ who shed His blood as the Lamb of God to ransom people from every tribe and language and nation. Who is there in your life? Who's the everyone in your life that God's calling you to reach out to with the gospel? The gospel spread as a result of persecution to all people through unnamed men. Verse 20. I love this. Some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene. We don't know who they were. They weren't the apostles. They weren't the seven. Just people taking the gospel to those who needed it. Not men who have biographies written about them. Not people that we would recognize They didn't establish churches or schools that were honored with their own name. They were simply faithful people who preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ordinary people like you and me. I grew up on a farm in Iowa. My brothers are still farmers. I'd love to be on the farm. I could have easily been there all my life. Ordinary. You don't get more ordinary than me. But God can take what's ordinary and use them because He is extraordinary. 
And his gospel is glorious. And that's what we're called to serve. This kind of Jesus. Friends, God can use anyone he chooses. If he can use me, he'll use you. One of my heroes in missions died recently. George Verwer. He's known as Crazy George. He had tons of energy. Started a missions organization called Operation Mobilization. And he always said that. He said, God can use me. He can use anybody. It's true of all of us. He will use us in the global mission of Christ, whether by our going or by our prayers or by our giving. He used unnamed men. And then finally, this gospel spread by the power of the Lord, by the Lord's power, verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. In fact, this is the cause, right, of all gospel fruit. Behind and beneath and in and through our working is God. And God used these unknown, unnamed men to to win many to faith in Jesus Christ. In His mercy, He granted repentance. In His grace, He opened hearts to the message and He gave them saving faith through the word of the cross. And that's what we're called to do. The gospel is spreading. Just as in the days of the founding of the church in Antioch, so today. 1970, in Nepal. 1950, in Nepal. The country was closed to all outsiders, apart from some attempts of Catholic priests in previous centuries to enter the country. No Christian roots. But in spite of opposition, where it's still illegal to openly preach the gospel, God's doing an amazing work. He's bringing people to faith in Jesus Christ. And it's an amazing context. I've stood in a Hindu temple in Nepal where in previous centuries there were human sacrifices done at that temple. Where today still elderly people gather waiting to die because there's a holy river. It's actually a little stream. And they want their families to dip their feet in the water immediately after their death in the hope of reincarnation. And then they take their bodies and burn them on a wood pyre. So when you're there, literally, you smell the stench of death. And you, you understand what happens apart from Christ. And yet the church there is growing rapidly. It's happening as well in Mongolia, where 1970, 1990, there were just a handful of believers in Mongolia spread out, big, large country with few people, and yet God is at work building His church. It's happening in Muslim countries. Uh, Dwayne Miller and Patrick Johnston completed an exhaustive country-by-country count of believers in Christ from a Muslim background over a decade ago, and they found over 10 million believers who've come to faith in Christ out of Muslim contexts. It's happening all around the world. God is at work through the gospel of Jesus Christ to establish the church even in the world of crisis. The gospel is spreading and we praise God for that. But this passage tells us about more than the spread of the gospel. It shows us how the church was strengthened. Just an image for you. Because the church cares about evangelism. We care about the eternal destinies of every person, but we care that then they grow in faith and are part of the church. 
Imagine, for example, a couple gets married and they say, we want to have children. And they have their first child and they say, we want to have another child. And they have the, and eventually they say, well, we're not interested in raising children. We just want to have them. That would be strange. Our mission is not only to have children, it's to raise them up in the nurture and instruction of the Lord. And that's why the church exists, to strengthen. And things need to be strengthened when people come to faith. And that's exactly what happens in verses 22 to 26. The church is strengthened. When news reaches the church in Jerusalem of what's happened in Antioch, they take a man, a young man named Barnabas, and they send Barnabas to the church to encourage what God is doing in Antioch. Why Barnabas? Why Barnabas? Well, notice what it says is, tells us about Barnabas. Verse 23, when he came and saw the grace of God. I love that phrase. He saw the grace of God. What does grace look like? You ever thought about that before? What does grace look like? God's undeserved favor at work in sinners. What did he see? He saw forgiven people. He saw people who had turned from idols to serve the living God. He saw people who had been religious and spiritual who now followed Jesus Christ. And they had God's handprints all over them so that when he looked at them, he saw Jesus at work. He saw the grace of God. You know, it's so easy to get caught up in everyday life, to miss the evidence of grace in people's lives. It's so easy to become critical, to say, why not this? That we miss what God is doing in the lives of people, and we're called, like Barnabas, to see the fruit of the Spirit in the lives of others, to see Christ's name being honored and esteemed. And that's how Barnabas looked at life and how we should look at each other. Not only did he see that evidence, he was glad about it, verse 21. He was happy. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. This is, again, an important point because it's not long after this in the book of Acts where some of the Jewish leaders are frustrated what's happening because the Gentiles are coming to faith. And they bring a complaint saying, these Gentile converts should have to follow the law of Moses, be circumcised, follow the food laws. And so chapter 15 comes, and a conflict again happens in the church as they think about what is the gospel? Because grace was too shocking, too free, too easy, and they became critical. Not Barnabas. He rejoiced in God's work in the lives of people when he saw grace. Our very words should give praise to God for his work in the lives of others. They should recount the gladness in God's work. And so as a result, he begins exhorting God's people with faithfulness and to faithfulness. Verse 23, he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose pleaded with them to persevere in their faith. That that's why they planted churches. And when Paul later would go on his missionary journeys and plant churches, they would go back again and again. Why? To keep them 
staying true to the faith. It's why Paul wrote letters to make sure that they were staying faithful. We who begin in faith must end in faith for our salvation. And Barnabas warned them against the danger of walking away. He exhorted them to spur them on in their faith. It's what we need. It's why we gather every week. I tell people often, why do I go to church every Sunday? It's because I need to hear the gospel again every Sunday. I'm in danger of walking away unless I hear again that as a sinner, I need a Savior and I have one in the Lord Jesus Christ and in Him alone. It's why we gather. Barnabas exhorted them. What is there about this man? Notice verse 24. I love the description of this man. He was godly. He was a good man. That is related to his character, his integrity. He was filled with the Spirit. He was full of faith. He had uh, an ability to trust God, not only for his own life, but for the lives of others. Here is a man who is worthy of imitation for all of us. His name means son of encouragement. That's who we're called to be as God's people, to be those who encourage one another in this journey. More than that, verse 24, he was an evangelist. A great many people were added to the Lord as a result of his coming and teaching the people. Barnabas knew his calling was to do the work of an evangelist, 2 Timothy 4, 5. He knew Christ's mission was to go and make disciples of all nations, Matthew 28, 19, and 20, and he fulfilled that calling. He was a mentor. Barnabas knew he couldn't do this great work alone, so verse 25, Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Saul, who had been the one who had put to death Stephen in chapter 7 who was trying to persecute the church in chapter 8, who came to faith in Jesus Christ in chapter 9, Barnabas goes to Tarsus, finds Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. He invested in this younger Christian leader, Saul, and he empowered him to work alongside of him in this great ministry. If you keep reading Acts, by the way, you'll notice how early on it's described as Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul, and Saul, what does it later become? Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas. Here is a humble man whose only concern is to see Christ's mission move forward. And so Barnabas mentors Paul until Paul exceeds his mentor. He was a teacher, verse 26. For a whole year, Paul and Barnabas met with the church and taught a great many people in Antioch. The disciples were first called Christians. Paul and Barnabas helped these followers of Christ grow by teaching them the whole counsel of God. And the church, as a result, became known by the imprint of Christ on their life. The first place they're called Christians, like Christ. And so they started speaking and living and acting like the one who had saved them from their sins. You know, one of my greatest joys in TLI uh, is to be around modern people like Barnabas. I first walked in 1987 into a Sunday school class at Bethlehem Baptist Church being taught 
for college students by a man named Tom Steller. Tom was teaching at that point in that role. Later, he would start to uh, an apprenticeship program for seminary students. And when I was in seminary, I got the privilege of being under Tom's leadership in the apprenticeship program at Bethlehem. He served that church as an associate pastor for 40 years. About 15 years ago, a young man named Darren Carlson walked into his office with a, a business plan to start a missions organization that would take seminary students overseas to equip pastors to serve churches faithfully. Tom liked the idea, and he said, how about you do it here, Darren, at Bethlehem? And Tom helped Darren, who was not a member of the church, who had never been out of the country on a mission trip, start a mission organization at Bethlehem called Training Leaders International. Fifteen years ago in June, will mark that moment when Darren walked into his office. A remarkable evidence of God's grace. And Tom liked the idea so much, he helped it happen at Bethlehem, and he joined the board of TLI. And three years ago, almost four years ago, he left Bethlehem after 40 years and joined our staff. Why? Because Tom wants to use the last years of his ministry to invest in the nation of Cameroon. He's had a heart for a long time for that country. His friend... Dudne Tamfu, who had come over from Cameroon to do his PhD work here in the U.S., has gone back to start a seminary there that will help Cameroonian pastors plant healthy churches where the gospel is faithfully preached in a country filled with prosperity teaching. And Tom wants to do whatever he can to encourage that work, to build up Dudne. And he's recruiting seminary students now who will invest their lives as families. We've got two families already, a third family nearing appointment with TLI who will go serve in Cameroon alongside the Tamfus to make this happen. And if you ever hear Tom talk, it's not Tom and Dudne. It's Dudne and Tom. Dudne and Tom. Dudne and Tom. What a blessing to see what the church can do. We, as his people, are called to build up the church among the nations. And what impact does that have when we do? Notice how this passage ends, verses 27 to 30. What happens is mutual care. Now in those days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So they hear about something that's going to happen impacting the whole world, and they respond with generosity. Wonder where they learned that. Do you know where they learned that from? Barnabas himself. If you remember back the first time Barnabas is introduced, Acts chapter 4, he sells a field of land and gives the proceeds to the church to care for the poor. Now, here's the church in Antioch following his example, and they're giving generously to care for the needs of the church in Jerusalem and Judea. They experience a mutual care. I, I heard someone ask one time, I ask a seminary professor, why is he 
teaches in the U.S. He could just teach in the U.S. and be content. But he goes overseas to China every year to teach. And he was asked why. He said, I want to see the church in China be healthy so that one day the Chinese church will send missionaries to the West to see my great-grandchildren re-evangelized by those who are faithful to God's word. That's why I invest. That mutual care, whether it's through the generosity of our gifts or the giving of the gospel, is to be there. Not only does it impact the care, but it impacts the, the advance of the gospel. There's one surprise to this story. Antioch didn't hold on to Paul and Barnabas. You get to chapter 13, and as the church in Antioch is worshiping and fasting and praying, the Holy Spirit says, set apart for me Saul and Barnabas for the work I've called them to. And they lay their hands on Paul and Barnabas and send them out on the first missionary journey. This church becomes the church that advances the ministry and mission of God's work. God is doing a great work around the world and it needs to be strengthened through churches like Antioch, churches like Waterbrook. Do you realize there's one formally trained church leader for every 230 people in the U.S.? Makes sense. Church of around 200 people, you've got a pastor who's been well-trained. Outside of the U.S. and the West, there's one trained church leader for every 450,000 people. There are 2.2 million approximately evangelical churches in the world today. 85% of them have no theological training. And so the church in the developing world, the church where the gospel is rapidly spreading, is left susceptible to false teaching. Things like the prosperity gospel running rampant in Africa, South America, preying on the poor for the prosperity of famous preachers in these countries. All the while, faithful, ordinary pastors nearly starve along with their people. In many cases, much of the false teaching happens simply through ignorance. People don't know how to understand the Bible. They don't know how to read the Bible carefully. And pastors can't teach their people if they themselves don't know it. So who meets the need? We, as the church in the West, have a great opportunity and a great responsibility. We've been entrusted with people like Barnabas. We've been entrusted with great books and teachers and schools and conferences. And we have opportunities to be like the church in Jerusalem, to sponsor and support Antioch-like churches. Today, I want you to remember two key statements. You can forget everything else I said, but remember this. The gospel of Jesus Christ is spreading. It's a cause for rejoicing and celebrating and delighting in what he's do doing. But the church around the world also needs strengthening. We need to see pastors and churches equipped and trained. So how do you get involved? First, find out what the Lord is doing. I just encourage you, read as much as you can. 
about what God is doing. Read Operation World. There's a nice app you can put on your phone. Every day you can pray through a different country, some of the needs in that country. Watch the video series called Dispatches from the Front. Pete Hansen, who's the videographer of those series, is a friend, works with TLI as well. Great work to report on what God is doing around the world and how you can pray. Get on missionary newsletters. Pray for God's work. Pray that God would continue to do that work. Pray for the missionaries your church supports. Pray. And then finally share. There is still a need for us to bear witness to Jesus Christ wherever we are. So be praying for God to use you in this global mission. Whether here, maybe he's leading you somewhere else. You know, the church needs all kinds of gifts, all kinds of resources, all kinds of abilities. Maybe God begins to tug your heart that you might serve his church for the glory of Christ in his church among all nations for his eternal praise. Let's pray. Father, we rejoice in what you are doing in this world to make the news of your son known, to make your son adored and treasured. Lord, I pray that you would do that today in our hearts and that by your spirit you would show us how we can participate in this great work. Lord, thank you. Thank you for reaching down and saving us and using us. And now we pray, use us more to advance this great gospel for your glory and honor. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were able to seek, savor, and share the all-surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. If you'd like to find out more about our church, submit a prayer request, watch previous sermons, go to www.waterbrook.church. Have a blessed week.